and this is to the listeners right now, you got to get really clear on what your goals yeah. are. And for me, it was cash flow. It cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Like it just had to be cash flow. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the focus and the energy being right here where we are. I've got a good one for you today, guys. Great story, great guy. Had a lot of fun interviewing him. And uh, I think it will, uh, the, the story itself is very relatable in terms of how he built his business. Uh, where he comes from might not be as relatable because he's not from the United States. He came from another country, came here and within a relatively short period of time, absolutely built an awesome business. And that should be inspirational to everybody. Uh, in 2012, he quit his job in Australia and moved halfway across the globe to the United States to change his life and chase his dreams with limited funds, no investing experience at all, didn't even know what the word entrepreneur was, and no credit. Reed went from purchasing a small duplex to growing his own real estate investing firm, Wildhorn Capital, kind of a cool name, FYI. Today, Reed is a real estate investor, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and podcast host, and all-around good guy. He's a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed uh, interviewing him. I think that comes through pretty loud and clear. You know, when I really kind of like hit it off with someone, well, I think it's pretty obvious. So uh, Reed was one of those guys. We had a good conversation, had a little chat after the, the interview was over. I just really enjoyed talking to him because he's a, he's a good guy and a smart guy. So uh, without any further ado, guys, I give you Reed Goosens. All right, Reed, thank you for being here. Thanks for agreeing to do this. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this conversation. G'day, mate. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. Yeah. First of all, I love Australian accents. They're they're very cool. Uh, it's tempting to <laughs> imitate them, and I know it's horrible and probably offensive how bad I am. But but uh, I may do that before we're done. But I'll, I'll do wait until I know you us, better. Give us a, give us your best shot. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I would, I always, no offense. No offense taken. <laughs> I always think like I always try just by saying your country name because it's a good name to say in the accent. Australia. Australia. Yeah, Australia. It's, it's very, it's a little nasally. It's a little um, not enunciating the, like the O's and the A's. Like, okay. You don't really, don't move your mouth a whole lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. You guys have, you have Wolverine, you have Thor. And for, for me, that's good enough. You guys are badass. <laughs> now, all joking aside though, man, it's good to have you here. I appreciate it. Um, your story's awesome. I definitely do some digging before anybody gets on my show to kind of get to know them a little bit better and try to discern what I can from about their story. Uh, but there's a lot I don't know. So if you don't mind, let's let's go back in time a little bit here and rewind back to Australia. I don't know how to say it. Uh, rewind back <laughs> to your country, Australia, and uh, tell us what was happening before you left. What what was the reason why you came to the states? And then mm -hmm. kind of give us that that backstory before we dig too much into uh, real estate. Sure, yeah, and I'll, I'll try to make it as, as short as possible, yeah. but it actually started uh, a pre-trip. So so graduated uni in 07 and went straight overseas. I uh, went to London and I was, a, I was, I was my, my, my trade is structural engineering. That's what I went to school for and I spent a better part of a decade in the industry. Uh, moved to London to work on the 2012 Olympic Games, but it was in 2008 as a sort of, because all the infrastructure needed to be built. Spent yep. a year there 
Then was in the south of France having a year working on uh, the super yachts. If you've ever seen the Below Deck show or the, the Bravo yeah. show Below Deck, yeah, I, I was working for a Russian billionaire. I was a deckhand. Oh, and wow. in that time, and again, I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of things. I'm sure you want to ask a lot. In that time, I was backpacking in Spain and met a girl on the beach who happened to be American. We kept in contact. I went back to Australia. She happened to come out to Australia to do her master's degree and the reason I ended up moving back uh, to the United States in 2012, so we, we're going from 2008, 2009, in 2010, she moves to Australia, 2011, you know, was a bit of a nothing year. And then 2012 was like, hey, I really want to want to live in the United States again, because I'd already had that bug of living overseas and being an expat. Yeah, um, I'd come through the United States in, in, in early to, late 2009, backpacking around and fell in love with New York City. And that's where I was like, okay, there's this girl there. Uh, she's moving to Australia for a period of time for a master's, but let's, well, maybe when we finish, you know, do you want to move back to New York? Like, cause I really want to live in New York. And so it was really just more of a scratching of the itch and, you know, Australians by nature, by our DNA, we want to go and explore the world because Aussie is, is, is a long way away and down under and we're, we're pretty much all the same. Uh, and so we want to go out and experience, you know, other experiences in life. And, and, and for me, it was, I lived in London already for a period of time, lived in the South of France, really loved being that expat, not just a tourist and, and, getting a job and 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 yeah and that was to live in New York City. So the whole impetus of moving to the United States was really just to be an expat and you know the, the goal was just to be here for a couple of years and and then move back to Australia but obviously a lot has changed since then. So that so, was yeah. a that was a long eloquent way of saying you moved here for a girl. Just say it. You <laughs> moved for a girl. <laughs> That's what all of that was about. I, I, I say two loves, New York City and and, and Erica. Who's, she's now my wife. So ah. you know we put a ring on it so yeah. Good. That's a nice that's a nice ending to that that uh, beginning. So good, good, good. Um, all right. So I do have to dig into a little bit the the on the yacht with the billionaire. Sure. How long did that last? So the whole thing was 2008 hit. Um, luckily, I had a job already lined up in, in in London. Moved to London. Did a year. My visa was only for a year. And at the end of that year, um, uh, I, I was like, I wasn't ready to go home. I, I had a friend of mine who was already working in London. We'd have. have happened to be studying civil engineering together. He was already in the South of France. He's like, dude, you got to come down and do this, this yacht working thing. I was like, what the hell does that mean? And so I rock up with like less than a thousand euros in my pocket. I did like a week safety course at sea. And then I just started walking the docks and networking in a place called Antibes in the South of France okay. and just got day work here and there, living in a hostel, you know, partying, living on the beach and partying throughout the day. Then I finally got a job on his boat and um, we were, yeah, I was, I was yes, so no, so how high do you want to jump, sir? It was very, uh, it was a weird, it's a weird industry, uh, a yeah. lot of money, filthy rich. Uh, none of us were allowed to know how to speak Russian on board. Um, just take that as you will. So, yeah. uh, and, and I've got a lot more stories I could probably tell you over beer that's not maybe suitable for, 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 for podcast radio. <laughs> oh my gosh. I so badly want to have that beer right now. I really would love <laughs> to hear these stories. They must have been awesome. I have seen Below Deck. I've seen the show. A lot of craziness going on among the crew on the show, obviously. It's a TV mm. show. I get that. But was it was a lot of fun. Did you have a good time? Oh, mate. The best experience of my entire life. You know, really? like I rocking up there with not much money in my pocket with the backpack on my back, you know, um, I, I ended up saving a ton of money working, uh, for these, these billionaires. I got to sail across the Atlantic ocean because when the winter happens in the Mediterranean, all the boats come to Florida or all, all the Caribbean, I, I was at sea for 15 days. Like it was just, you know, world changing 
you know, yeah. life in a bag, you know, just living, living my life on my terms. And that was really the start of like enjoying like my young twenties and saying, I'm so glad I did this because I wouldn't ever have another opportunity to do it again. And I, I took it with both hands. Yeah, so, yeah, that's cool. So did you know prior to that, whether or not you would be seasick for 15 days? Or <laughs> did you know whether or not you could handle that? Well, yeah, good, good, good question. Because I know I'd been doing about three or four months in the Mediterranean as, as the summer ended, you know, trips with the boss and, and yeah. guests and all that sort of stuff. But it wasn't until we actually started the, the crossing that um, I did got, I got very sick the first couple of nights right. and um, it, it, you know, it did teach me that I'm not uh, a seaman. I'm not a salty sea dog. I am. I love a good oak tree yeah. and feet, you know, planted directly on the ground. So, <laughs> I, 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 you know, as much as that industry was just a crazy, weird industry, it was just I got to see awesome parts of the world and uh, and see a life that these people live that it just it blows your mind. So, yeah, yeah. it's got to be absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, that that's really. Cool. I've never met anybody who actually did it, um, but that's interesting. It's a, it is probably a pretty really cool experience for sure at that age. So mm-hmm. so okay, let's uh, let's go forward a little bit now. So you 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 said you fell in love with New York City. I know you happen to be in L.A. Um, why aren't you in New York? What what, what brought you to L.A.? <laughs> My wife. So so okay. we we in, in 2012 we moved to New York City um, just to give it a go. You know, uh, the, for, for me uh, being an Australian, there was a very good visa, a working visa that if you've, you know, got a white collar job, which I did a structural engineer, you could get a two year visa that could be renewed indefinitely based on, um, based on that job. So it wasn't, you know, and I was like, look, this girl's awesome. I want to, she wanted to move to New York city and just you know, live there for a period of time. And she's originally from LA. So after two years, we, we, we ended up moving back to LA and, okay. um, yeah, love it, you know, so been here ever since. So how, how did you get involved in real estate? How did that happen? Yeah. So, so go back to the, so finishing on the yachts and, and was in the Caribbean, then backpacked through, this is in 2009, then backpacked through the States. And that's when I fell in love with New York. And then finally went back to Australia in early 2010, was sitting at my back of my structural engineering job and just you know, having two years abroad, you know, gallivanting around the South of France. It was just incredible experience. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm now just sitting in a cubicle and this is, that's it. You know, like I'm 25, 26. <laughs> I don't know. Like you got to be careful. Yeah. It's, it's a little too much of a change. Yeah. So it, it really, to me was like, how the hell do I get someone to pay me to go traveling? Right. And that was just, that's where it started from. And, and more to do with like that, that life of, of living, you know, in a, in a suitcase or, or, you know, life in a backpack. And, and, and that was really invigorating for me. And, it was life on my own terms. And so being in a, in a corporate world, feeling like I was a bit, really small cog in a big, big machine and just going, this ain't for me for the next 40 years of my life. So yeah. I, I knew that I had more to give. It just, what was that, what was that more to give? And, and that's when I stumbled upon the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the word entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. I didn't even know what that was, you know, and all of a sudden I was like, okay, this is, I need to, I need to choose to invest my money. How do I do that? Well, let's talk about real estate because I, I, I happen to be building things. I'm a structural engineer. Like I was already sort of in an industry that was rubbing shoulders with developers. It was sort of the blinkers came off a little bit, you know, yes, yeah. I was, you know, the guy who could, could mathematically tell if a building was going to fall down or not, yeah. but you also were very quite close to being like, okay, well, hang on. That's the developer over there. Let's go. Uh, don't worry about how many bolts you're going to put in that connection. What are you going to rent this space for? You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was just sort of like the, and again, so that was in 2010. 
started self-educating in Australia, going to real estate events in Aussie, was going to do something in Australia through saving money, like whether it be a fix and flip or a lease option, but then also had that itch to want to move back to, you know, move abroad again. And, and so made that decision to say, screw it, let's, let's go give it a crack. Didn't have a job lined up when I moved to, to, to New York. I was pounding the streets to try and get an engineering job. I finally did, got the visa. And then, you know, within, I think, a month of being fresh off the boat in New York City, I was at the first RIA, Real Estate Investment Associations. And that, to me, was just, for those people listening to this show, you guys don't realize the, the, the tapestry or the infrastructure you guys have got here in the United States in terms of real estate, those RIAs. Like, they're on every MSA. I come from a country, I just happen to live in a city where the only national real estate club, so to speak, was yeah. in my city, in my backyard, which was only still pretty small. So to come here and know that there was one in New York City, there was one in Philadelphia, there was one in LA, like, it was just like, and, and I could pay 30 bucks at the door and get this incredible information. Yeah, I would have to pay a guru tens of thousands of dollars in Australia to teach me that same type of information. So just coming from what I knew and, and seeing the access to information was just such a big game changer for me and, yeah. and something I really appreciated. So, yeah. Yeah, I do think that, uh, you know, in America, we're this way, but I think anytime anybody has an abundance of anything, it's hard to appreciate it. You know, you're in 100%. you're in the middle of it, I, and I get that. Um, yeah, it's so it's absolutely true. Now, back in Australia, aside from the fact that there aren't a lot of RIAs and it's the information isn't as easy to get to, is the real estate game at all similar, or how how different is it? Yeah, there? so to, to to put it in blatant terms, um, think of so Australia is the same land mass, exclude Alaska, but Australia is the same land mass, give or take, as mainland America. Mm-hmm. However, we only have twenty five million people because it's a desert. It's, 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 a, it's I think it's the one of the most arid islands in the in the world, mm-hmm. um, and so we can only inhabit the coasts, right? The the yeah. and, and and with twenty five million people, we only inhabit like eighteen percent of our land, and it's around major cities. Yeah. And so think of LA, New York. Um, high appreciation markets. That's what uh, that's what Australia is. So you're not buying for cash flow. Uh, you're not necessarily you're buying for negatively geared. Uh, there might be some cash flow in the outer suburbs if you buy at the right time, yeah. but it's not it's not like I could go to these secondary tertiary markets like you know you have here in the United States yeah. and buy something for thirty thousand dollars, which was my first property that I bought. Right. So it was just completely different when I came here. So the, through the the rears, it was this opening Pandora's box. And, and yes, I couldn't afford New York city because that's where I was living, but four hours drive away, I could, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I could buy something for $35,000 and, and, you know, buy it all cash because, you know, being fresh off the boat, I didn't have a credit score, right. Yeah. I didn't even know what a credit score was when I first moved to the United States. So <laughs> yeah. all these things were like, wow, 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 wow. Like all these wow factors. And like, yeah. I didn't come from this. So like, this was, wow, I can buy, I can buy a triplex for 38,000 bucks. Like that's, that's great. Like I can cash flow <laughs> 700 bucks a month. Sign me up. Yeah. Um, so that was this, the start of it. Uh, but, but, but to your original question, yes, Australia is like a, it's a high appreciation market, uh, high demand, low supply, uh, but also the population is, is a lot smaller than the United States. Yeah. Thus, and we can't inhabit the entire country where you guys can inhabit north, south, east, west. And you've got this massive population. So it spores these second and tertiary markets. Yeah. 
outside the major coastal markets, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally does. So when you, you said your first uh, property was a $30,000 property, was this when you were still living in New York, you bought it? Did, yep. Where did you, where'd you buy the property? I guess is what I'm kind yeah, of getting so, at. Yeah, so um, going to those rears, met a few folks and um, start, just chose, I was like, I've got some money to invest. I, you know, And at this point, uh, Mike, I, I've been, I've been in self-educating for nearly two years now. Okay. Right. So, and I hadn't actually done anything, right. By the time I picked up Rich Jeb Porter doing the stuff in Australia, then moved to the United States, starting on the rears. And I was like, okay, there's affordable markets. There's a couple of affordable markets. Philadelphia is one of them. Yep. And there's a couple of markets, you know, Rochester and Syracuse. They, they're all within a bus drive. You know, I, I remember getting on the Greyhound bus at, at, at the Penn station and, uh, and I, I, choo- I chose Syracuse, no other than the fact that someone out the rear happened to be investing up there. And I was like, sweet, let's go up and I can get on a Greyhound bus. It takes me four hours to get up there on a Saturday morning. I can you know, check out a few little properties and get back for a couple of beers with the boys and my girlfriend yeah. you know, by Saturday night. So yeah. that was all it was. Uh, I could afford it. I could drive to it. Um, and that's what got me started, right? It was just wow. going up there because I got to the point where I was no stuck in a book, analysis paralysis on the subway and going, if I, I'm not going to be able to you know, I'm not, the true learning for me was going to go out and do a deal. Yeah. I'm not going to get to deal number 10 without doing that first deal. Yep. And so for me, it was like, okay, what are the, what's the risks here? Could go sideways, right? All right. Well, it's my own money. I'm, I'm willing to, it's 35,000 bucks. It ain't, you know, it's a lot of money. I'd saved up that from probably many years of being in the corporate world, but it was also my money. It was no, no one else's money. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know, so I was willing to, to put that up and you could pay $30,000 for a, a rich dad, poor dad mentorship course, you know? So yeah, yeah. for me, it was like, this is a no brainer. I'm going to go do it. Um, and that was the start of, of, of the journey. And, and it got me off the market, gave me the permission to say, Hey, I can do this. Yeah. I can go out and learn a market and learn what to and not not to buy and what to buy. I still had my stumbling blocks along the way, like in every any first deal, but it got me off the starting blocks. And that was the most important part. Yeah. I like that too. The only way you get to your 10th deal is to do your first deal. And that's so true. I think doing that first deal, it was for me too. It was the greatest learning. You spent two years after you read Rich Dad Poor Dad kind of before you actually did it. I spent five. I, I know what it's like. Mm. I, I I discovered real estate and fell in love with it. And then it took me five years through a lot of, you know, but there was some personal stuff happening, plenty of excuses, but that's all they are, right? At the end of the day, I, I think I was just afraid of failure. I was afraid of looking stupid. I was afraid of not knowing enough. And, you know, honestly, part of that thing we talked about where we have so much abundance and, and so much information available to us, we don't we don't appreciate it. One of the drawbacks, though, I will say, of having all these RIAs and all this free and really cheap information is it, it can be confusing when you're starting. Mm-hmm. And yes. I would go to RIAs, and every every month they would have a new speaker who was talking about how he or she is doing it, and they would convince you that if you didn't do it this way, you're stupid. You have to do it this way. It's the best <laughs> way. And then next month, it's somebody else. So I got a lot of like shiny object, and it's sort of like, mm, this is a great yep. problem to have here. Like It's not really something to complain about, but I had so much information, I didn't know what to do with it all. I was like overwhelmed with the possibilities. And that was just one of the reasons. But at the end of the day, it's on me. Like if you don't get started, I firmly believe if you are sitting there listening to this and you've been saying you want to be in real estate for a number of years or months or weeks, and you're not taking action, like it's on you. There's no reason not to, right? I mean, we have a a guy here came from another country, came over and made it happen, right? And and, and to your point, I love what you said there. I remember the 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 shiny objects the should i do wholesaling or should i do something else you know like flipping you know it's just so many options and 
I think the the clarity of what your goals are, and this is to the listeners right now, talking directly to you, you guys who are sitting on the fence, you got to get really clear on what your goals yeah. are. And for me, it was cash flow. It cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Like it just had to be cash flow. Yeah. So how was the easiest way to do that? Well, buying small triplexes and duplexes was a start, right? I, I ended up flipping some houses, but and I got in, into the scale side of it, but that was the start because I wanted the cash flow. I valued putting something in my pocket when I was sleeping. Yeah. That was what I really valued. So, yeah. yeah, I love it. I was going to ask you that. What did you do with that property? Okay, so you kept it for cash flow. Out of curiosity, you still have it or no? It? Okay. No, no, no. So, just as a quick side note, had a as a fresh faced, bushy eyed Australian coming and realizing what uh, Section Eight housing is. Uh, no wonder they're so cheap. <laughs> yeah. And and I had my issues. I had a drive by shooting at this property. Uh, you know, had all the things that could that could potentially go wrong. Didn't lose my shirt on it. Made some yeah. money. Made some cash flow along the way. Got me going. Right. Learnt yeah. what not to do, but also, but again, I got to a stage of I was comfortable with my own ability to say, let's go ahead and do this. Yeah, I love it. So you, I know you transitioned at some point from buying these small duplexes and triplexes into uh, larger apartments. Mm -hmm. how, how and why did you make that transition? Because it's different, right? A, a duplex yep. is different, it's value different, you add value differently. Like how, how and why did you go to that next step? I think it's, again, so the, 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 the how was through, or the, 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 the sort of the spark, I should say, was through a conversation with a good friend of mine who'd come to New York City uh, end of 2013. I, I had two or three properties at this stage, still working full-time, grinding. Um, I'm boasting to him like, hey, man, i got seven units, like killing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he turns around to me, he's, he, he's from Canada, um, and, and and he says to me, oh, Reid, that's fantastic. And, and, and I didn't even know he was in real estate at this point. And he says, Oh, I, I just I closed on a 70 unit deal and I said 70, like seven, seven, zero, like one, two, three, four, five, 70, <laughs> you know, 69, 70. He's like, yeah. It's like, how the hell did you do that? And he told me about he got a mentor. Uh, he told me about other people's money. He told me about raising some money from friends and family yeah. to put down a down deposit, sell a carryback financing, all these things that I'd known about, he'd actually gone out and done. And the biggest thing that I took away from that was a mentor. And and Mike, up until that stage, I had known in the back of my mind. You know, the, the, the statement I said before, I went and took that $35,000 I had and I could have spent it on more mentor and more education, but I went and got my first deal, right? Yeah. I knew at some point, not then, but I knew over a period of time that I'd get to the end of my rope and I'd, I'd know I'd need to, I'd need that mentor, right? Yeah. Self-education is great, but you comes a point where you need a coach in your corner. And for me, I knew I had the ability to do that and, and the inspiring story of my mate, Scott, I was like, if he can do it, why can't I? I've already moved halfway across the world. I've already started in this game. It's just, again, pushing my boundaries, yeah. getting comfortable pushing my boundaries. And I was like, I'm going to do this. Let's. And that's when I actually sold the first property uh, to, to free up a little bit of cash to go to go get a mentor and and that, and then work on my brand and 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 my story because it was an interesting story and I was finding out all these incredible things in the United States. And I, I knew other international folks would be interested in, in that story or even just the Americans would be interested. So sure. that's where I started down the personal brand um, to try and raise capital and try and build my investor database in order to, you know, fund these bigger deals that I wanted to go out and chase. So th that's easy, you know, 
gloss over all the hard parts in that, but that was sort of the start of the the spark to get me into that scaling piece and get into commercial real estate. So let me ask you, you brought it up uh, briefly there. What was, it's just one thing. What's one thing that you, a challenge that you faced when you kind of transitioned from the small duplex, triplex into an apartment building? What's what's something that maybe wasn't a challenge? What surprised you? Like what kind of was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize. And you had to adjust and adapt and learn. And like, wh- where did that stumble come, if ever? Yeah, uh, not necessarily a stumble, but more of a mental block okay. was more around the asking of the money for a deal and okay. knowing that the deal was worth asking friends and family for money, right? Okay. That's, that, that's, that's, I think, the biggest, the imposter monster, right? The imposter syndrome of like, yep. am I really going to do this? You know, like, am I really going to go and ask someone for $100,000 to invest in this deal I've just found? Yeah. And that's where you've got to have the confidence, even when you haven't done a big deal before, to know that you've got to put in the foundations yeah. to to educate people, right? And, th- and so what I did was was I started my own podcast back in 2014 called Investing in the US. It's still going today. Like, and it was just about the story and the steps. The first 20 episodes of that podcast was literally about the individual steps I started to learn as I came into this country. Mm-hmm. And th- what I realized, and again, I'm, an, I'm a structural engineer. I'm, I'm pretty black and white brain. I love maths. Like I didn't have any gray or creativity there, but what I learned was, People are going to invest in you first and foremost. And if they don't trust you, then you can't even go, get to the point of the ask. I can't ask you for money without my trust, without you giving gaining my trust. Right. And you, it takes a long time to gain your trust, that trust, and it can go away in an instant yeah. if you're not careful. Yeah. So really building a brand around transparency, vulnerability, my story, being just down to earth and approachable, that's what's going to, that's what has ultimately helped fund those first early deals and and grow from from there but it had to, it, it came from uh, a place of I knew I had to go out and, and and use a platform like podcasting to to tell my story and that was the most and that can go for any business right not just real estate but when you're trying to attract an audience attract you know uh, employees or partners or money or whatever what it, what it might be people want to know the story and that's what's really important they invest in you first and foremost and the deals actually it's actually secondary yeah so yeah. definitely so let's talk about that a minute. You've mentioned personal brand a little bit. You talked about it again just now. Why is it important? Why was it important? Why is it important for you to build a personal brand? And do you suggest that other real estate investors try to build a personal brand? Yeah, look, it's, and look, there's so much with social media. There's so much people saying, you know, I've got a microphone and look at me and look at me. And it's not about being Tony Robbins or, you know, uh, Tim Ferriss or, you know, uh, Gary V. It's about being the key person of influence, and I interviewed a gentleman who, who wrote the book Key Person of Influence on my show called Dan Priestley, great great guy and highly recommend that book. Um, it's all about being that KPI in your sphere, right? Mm-hmm. The, the 500 people you know, you are top of mind when it comes to real estate, right? You, you can have 500 investors and you can do just fine and growing a real estate business with 500 investors, right? You don't need the millions of people like the, the Tony Robbins has following right. them. Right. But they, they had to start from nothing, right? And that's yeah. where again, going back to the the trust and transparency, you start with friends and family because they trust you already because you're a friend of theirs or you're a family member, right? They already know that, hey, I already know Reed, Reed's a good guy. He's, he seems to got his head screwed on. He's an engineer, right? Like, like you know, yeah. but then changing their mindset of like, well, aren't you an engineer? Now you get into real estate and you ask me to invest in these deals. What, what, what WTF, yeah. like what's going on? Yeah. And so that's through the repetitive education of the podcast or the brand or whatever medium you choose to get your message across 
is 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 the the education of what you do. Yeah. And that I remember that first ask on that first deal I ever tried to raise half a million bucks for. I thought I'm going to crush this. I think I'd like. 50 or 60 people on my email list. And I was like, I'm going to easy get to that. I'm going to email them all. I know them all personally. Yeah. And it was crickets, yeah. absolute radio silence. And the and it was a cold shower and the realisation that I have not done enough on the education piece for that ask, right? I, and, and they talk about touches in social media and, 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 and yeah. branding. And it's, you know, back in the day, it used to be seven. I think it was. You got to tell someone seven times before it sinks in. You know, you yell at your kids or you tell your kids something seven times before it's yeah. like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. In, in, in this day and age with all this social media stuff, it's now 24, 25 times. Yeah. So what I realized was it wasn't, it wasn't them. It was me that I hadn't educated them enough about what I was transitioning to try and do and how I could support them in their growth and their needs of wanting to get in real estate themselves or invest some money in their real estate, um, but they didn't have the time or the energy. And so mm. for me, it was that cold shower of realize, the realization that, okay, I need to do more with the podcast, I need to do more with the branding, I need to do more with the publicly facing output to mm. then uh, have people go, aha, I know what he's doing and I don't have any questions <laughs> and I want to invest. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. <laughs> that's what you're bombarding people with information so they get tr- they can trust you again to say yes I want to I want to invest in read. So as far as building that personal brand, is it more is it a, is it a is it a, a credibility yeah, builder? 100%. Okay. So is that where yeah. you find a lot of your investors for your syndications? Is it coming through your podcast? Yeah, it, it's it's it, you know, I don't have a direct that's the problem, right? Like and it, it takes someone hearing me on a show like this or my own podcast and they get me, they come on the website, they, yeah. you know, like, I, I don't know if they, had, they I don't know where they come from. I should probably gather that information, but tracking it all the way through to becoming an investor yeah. is, you know, that, that sort of organic growth yeah. Yeah. Is, is a little bit hard to track, but it is, I guess without, <laughs> without doing it, if I go back and didn't do the podcast or didn't do this branding stuff, yeah. I'm sure I wouldn't be in the place I am today with, with, without it. So that probably as much answers the question. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah fair. So. Okay. So tell me a little bit about syndication. First of all, for the listeners who don't know, define what a syndication is or give them some mm-hmm. idea. And then how did you get started? How do you start syndicating? How, what's, the, yep. what's that look like? So syndication is the pooling of people's money together and you're buying um, uh, a larger deal that one individual couldn't buy on their own. So think of it like um, uh, a great analogy I use is an aeroplane. An aeroplane. Like if, if I want to go hiring, uh, hire a 747 to get me from Los Angeles to New York City, it would cost me, Reed Goosens, a lot of bloody money, right? Yeah. But if I go share it with 200, 100 passengers, 200 passengers on the plane, we can all enjoy the, the, the journey from point A to point B. And in this scenario, in real estate, it happens to be from, from, from having cash to growing it in terms of wealth and cash flow. Uh, and then in the same plane analogy, you know, there's a captain and co-pilot and that's who I am. My, my business partner and I, we, we are flying the plane. Uh, there's first class where you might have, which could be the general partnership, you know, where you might have some people coming in who brought you the deal or might be coming in, you know, bolstering your bank account balance or your, your lending ability. And they're sitting in first class. And then you have everyone sitting in the back who's are, who are your LP investors, your limited partner investors, and they're enjoying the in-flight entertainment. Um, but they're only having to pay a portion for that one seat, not the whole plane. And so we get to pull everyone together, get on that plane and we fly from, from point A to, to point B, which happens to be long-term wealth and, and financial freedom. That, so. that happens to be the best description and analogy for a syndication I've ever heard. That was really, really good. <laughs> I like that. And, and, if, and no one can possibly have a question about what it means now. Um, so how do you do that? How did you start this? How, do you, how does one go about this? 
Yeah. So the first, back to the mentor, right? Back to that, that, that conversation with my mate, Scott finding a mentor who was actively doing deals, right? Aspiring to be someone someone else. And I'd found a, a small mentor. He's now quite large in, in, in today's world. I was one of his early students, but really that mentor was also just, a, again, another bet on myself. And it wasn't that he had the keys to the kingdom. It was more the fact that I was parting ways with money and giving myself permission to say, hey, I'm worth this. I'm worth taking this next step in my career because I'm getting someone who's going to be in my court is going to be able to look over my shoulder. And so through that mentor, I was able to co-syndicate on his deals. So it wasn't necessarily had to worry about finding the deals, but maybe just work with my brand and bring a small piece of money to the, to the, to the table mm-hmm. and, and, you know, co- co- you know be, be in that first class um, analogy that I, that I spoke about before. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's helps build the credibility, right? Like that I get to use his credibility right on his coattails. And it got to the point after doing, I think two or three deals with him that I eventually broke out on my own because I built that, system of, of people was seeing what I was already pitching them on, you know, my, my flyer and hypothetical situations. Then I actually went and got a, we got a live deal together with my mentor and we raised some money. And then the second deal and the third deal. And then on the fourth deal, I was like, I need, I can do this by myself and I can, you know, go be my own captain mm-hmm. of my plane. And that's where I broke out, but it, it happened over many years, but yeah. that was a start, right? It was whether you're in syndication or fix and flipping or wholesaling, like getting someone who you can, a mentor that you can use their credibility in order to grow your business is really vital and really key. Yeah. And that's what that's what that mentor did for me. I love it. I love that message. It's great. I know people get caught up. I, I did it. I'm I was notorious for the uh, way too long. I see. I, I spent six years when I after I started flipping. So I, I told you I kind of procrastinated and lived in fear for five years, and then for six years. I self-educated and I mm-hmm. I had some success. I was making money. I was growing, but I was growing super slow. I was making tons of mistakes. I was hitting the ceiling of what I could do on my own and you know, all those things until I realized that I needed a mentor. I needed to surround myself with the kind of people that could help me get to the next level. And I and I did. Excuse me. <clears throat> but what what how long what year was it when you went out on your own? Like how long ago from now was that? Yeah, that was 2016. Okay. So only, so only four years. That, you know, so, but at that point, I'd be, you know, it's 2014. I got the mentor. There was sort of two, two and a half years in there of doing deals yeah. with him and stuff and then broke out on my own. And, and that's where I really was able to, to scale that, that business. Okay. Got it. And now are you doing exclusively apartments? Is that the, the game? Yep, okay. That's it. Exclusively okay. apartments. Yep. How are you, are you finding them all around the LA area or are you all over no, the United good, States? Good, good question. I'm only focused in Austin and San Antonio. So actually oh, I'm, I'm into, I'm into state. Um, okay. and, and I'm sure a natural question will be, well, how'd you get there? Well, it was through. Don't say a girl. The, Cause that's not okay yeah. anymore. <laughs> Don't say a girl. Don't say a girl. Yeah. Um, so it was, so through those couple of first deals I did with the mentor, he was already doing some stuff in Dallas okay. and Houston. And I liked that market. And so I, I was looking in San Antonio, which he, a market he was not in with his business partner. And, um, and it was a bit more, obviously more affordable than, than LA, right? There was cash flow there. Remember cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Yep. And what I was realizing, I was getting very close on, and I was looking at 50, 60 unit deals, getting on best and final calls with the seller. So clearly my underwriting was good. Clearly I'd built some rapport with the, with the broker, but there was still just that little bit, that element that was missing of just being physically not there, mm-hmm. right? And, and having an accent, right? Yeah. So needed to find uh, boots on the ground and, and, and 
have someone who could be my yin, yin to my yang, right? Had complementary skill sets. And that yeah. was where I found my business partner, Andrew. He was born and raised in Austin, Texas. He, he doesn't have the skill sets that I have and, and I don't have the skill sets he has given that he was born there and knows a lot of people, right? So yeah. he could have those broker relationships and that's where we, we formed a partnership on the first one. And I remember underwriting, you know, 60 or 70 deals in, in San Antonio before we got one. Yeah. Uh, and, and the broker gave us, you know, sort of backed us with the seller to say, hey, these guys can do this. And that's where we broke out on our own and, and did the whole flying the flying the uh flying the airplane by ourselves, which was which was scary. Yeah. Uh not, not, not it's by no means and it was a, definitely a bumpy takeoff. But uh we 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 got there in the end. So a question I want to ask you, I know this is a long it, the answer could be very, very lengthy, but let's see if we can do a good sure. job of keeping it relatively high level. How do you underwrite an apartment building. What what are the steps you take to do that? Yeah, how do I underwrite? So there's obviously different ways. Not there's not not obviously different ways. Look, there is there is there is a, there's a handful of ways you can do it. Right? There is, and depending on the size of the building, you know, stuff that's 100, 200, 300 units is going to be a little bit more complex than say a 10 or a 20 unit deal. But ultimately, you want to look at the NOI, the net operating income, and you want to see if that NOI has a good market, what's the cap rate that they're trying to sell it for? And how does that compare to the market cap rate? And how does that then compare to your interest rates? So for example, if I've got a deal, they want to sell it to me and it's a fight and, and then they're in place NOI, what they're telling me is the in place NOI. Remember the, the, the nuance is that it might be a little bit fudged, but yeah, yeah. what they're telling me the NOI is maybe it's a call it a five and a half cap, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, what's the market at? Well, if the market's at a six, then it's clearly probably a little bit overpriced. Hmm. Um, but if there's value there that you could see where you could grow, you know, you can push that NOI over the next three, four, five years, and maybe a stabilized NOI might be a, a six or a seven cap, and might get interest rates at a four at a four percent. Well, that, that spread there, that's hmm. going to give me some cash flow, hmm. right? Yep. So overall, you want to look at NOI. You want to see compare it to the market. Um, but again, the in-place cap, the in-place cap rate to me these days doesn't mean a ton. It just sort of I use it as a valuation stick. Yeah. It's really what I'm going to move the needle for in terms of the NOI in the few, next sort of three to five years, mm. and where are my interest rates are today. And if I can get a spread between the cap rates and the interest rates, then I know I'm going to get cash flow, and that cash flow means that I can pay my investors, and I can we can cash flow the deal, and then sell it for an equity multiple uh, in whatever five, six, seven, ten years time. Yeah. How often is it when you buy an apartment, how often is it that it's under rented or under value? The rents are too low. Like, is it a combination right. of two or like what, what else can go into it and how much are those the, the driving factors? Yeah. So look, there's, there's definitely some, there's obviously an element you have to have value to be added, right? You're sure. never not, not doing value add. Yeah. Uh, so whether it be through market rents, whether it be through, um, you know, another big one we do, which a lot of people I talk about is, is changing the renter demographic, right? So you, the way you, you might have an average renter who's earning 35 or $40,000 a year, but you want to get that up to 50 or 60, just by doing that, they can afford more rent, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're renovating in the way that they're attracted to amenities, really clean finishes, stainless steel appliances, all that sort of stuff that they yeah. want, and it's in a path of progress, then that's, you know, your comps may not be saying that you can get $200 rental bumps, but if you're focused on changing the demographic as well as getting those $200 rental bumps with the with the top quality renovation, yeah. then that can be a really killer type of uh, business plan. Nice. Um, so that that to me is, that's how we value our value add. Yeah. 
And I assume your mentor taught you how to underwrite. But oh, by the way, just so you, everyone understands, underwriting is basically the determining what the value or what you should buy it for, kind of understanding the the numbers of the deal. Did your mentor teach you that stuff or did you? Uh, uh, no, <laughs> I, I look, yes and no. I, I, I'm very handy with a spreadsheet giving in that I'm an engineer. So I actually taught him a little bit, but it was more, it was more the, the capital raising the branding side that I got him for and yeah. his business partner that I met. Uh, he taught me a lot of he's more like me, thinks of very analytically and operationally. Okay. So okay. he actually taught me a lot about the more complications when you get to larger deals and you know, loss to lease and bad debt and all those sort of things that yeah. come to it. Okay, great. So now you're in, in uh, the syndication deals. You're kind of going along the way here. It's 2016, going on 17, whatever. How did you scale, right? It's one <laughs> thing, you found a partner, I get that, but how did you actually scale? Because scaling sometimes is where people fall apart because they either go too fast or too reckless. They hire the wrong people. Like how did you manage to scale up and stay profitable? Yeah, for, for us, it's keeping it very lean. Uh, and to this day, we, we have two, 2,200 units in the portfolio, about quarter billion value. Just, you know, just give you sort of a yardstick, not to boast, but just to inspire. Uh, we still do it very lean. We still do third-party property management. Um, I do all the asset management, construction management. Now, as we grow uh, and we want to go double the portfolio, we're bringing people in in-house, but we've raised that $50,000 set of time. You know, we do mm -hmm. deal by deal. Um, but the biggest thing you ask about scale is proof that we can do it yeah. and proof that to the brokers that, remember that first deal, I, I spoke briefly about it before, the broker had to bet on us as much as, they had to give us a chance, yeah. right? Because- they have to prove to the seller that, hey, these guys are going to be able to close. Mm -hmm. So through that broker, we actually got the first, second, and third deal through that broker. Okay. And the first two deals were from the same seller because we performed. And that's so important about being, being able to perform and close on a deal and, yeah. and, and do what you're going to say you're going to do. Yeah. Super valuable. Like yeah. you can't, I can't stress it enough. And everyone's going to ask, well, like, how do I get the opportunity? It literally comes through knocking at the door, 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 someone's going to open eventually, right? Yep. And it just, it takes time. It won't happen the first time you respond to a broker, but yep. you do it over 60, 70 deals, you're going to hang around the hoop and then someone's going to give you a totally. chance. Yeah. yeah. And, and since you mentioned the the value of the, of the doors and all that, you mentioned early on when you found your partner, you underwrote like 50 or 60 deals before you got one. Now we're four years into this. How many deals are we? How many deals have you actually closed on? Are we talking about uh, half eight. a dozen, ten dozen? Okay, all right. So I'll close. We're now going on nine, and, and we've got ten, the tenth one lined up. So it definitely is less as you get as you do more, but yeah. also as deals become thinner, yep. you have to understand the different value add propositions, and, and our investment strategies change a little bit over time. Don't need to get into that, but it's more to do with just the, the sheer volume when you're starting, you know, un, you know, in a market to to prove to people that you're worth your weight in gold. What are some of the challenges that you have faced as a remote investor? You don't live in Texas. What, if any? I mean, are, is there anything that's a challenge or anything unique to that situation? That's the, that's the benefit of the yin and the yang with Andrew being local. Um, we have third-party, very third-party property management. You know, you, you can do this business from the moon if you wanted to, if you've yeah. got decent internet. You know, like yeah. I'm on calls pretty much nearly every day with my regional managers. I'm on calls twice a week with the teams, uh, both in San Antonio and Austin. Uh, and then I've got underwriting uh, calls. I've got two underwriters that work for me. They're both, one lives in New York, one lives in San Francisco. Mm. So very much in the age of, um, you know, 
telecom, you know, telecommuting, sure. if that's even, is that the word? Uh, yeah. But, I'm, but I'm, well, I am in Texas twice a month. So I'm very much seen as we grow the business and, and I'll probably have to move there eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we start to vertically integrate and bring some of those outside, you know, property management, we bring that in-house. Yeah. Um, but that really only makes sense once you get to a certain stage and size. Yeah. Um, and so f- for me, yeah, it, it's been it's been challenging, but it's also been, that's the life I want to live, right? I want to live by the beach. I, I, you know, the whole point of getting involved in this business is to, I don't have to live in the backyard. It doesn't yeah. have to be in my backyard to invest. Absolutely. Well said. I like that. Um, we're, we're kind of getting close to the end here, but I want to ask sure. you, um, because I'm sure the kind of guy you are engineer minded. I don't, I, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. First two, two part question. Number one, do you see a change coming in the market? Depends on what you see is change, right? Um, I do see, so blood in the street, right? We're talking about 2008. Mm. When you break out 2008 versus where we are today, there's a lot more money sitting on the sidelines than there were in 2008. So deals are still getting done today, particularly large commercial multifamily. Secondly, this pandemic or this recession is backed by a pandemic where 2008 was backed by a crash in the financial system. Right. So two separate sorts of, sorts of beasts, right? Yep. We're going to have its own problems with, with getting back to some normalcy with jobs and sporting events and concerts and, and, and just feeling good about spending money and, and, and growing the GDP yeah. right, of the country. There's all that part of it that's going to be different. Um, so I, I think I don't have a crystal ball in terms of, you know, deals are just going to be go for rock bottom values. I think a lot of people learnt a ton, particularly the lending industry learned a ton from 2008. So mm-hmm. they're trying to work with sell uh, uh, borrowers now if, if people are in bad, bad uh, ways in, in, in the deal. Yeah. I also think that multifamily in general is the golden child right now compared to other commercial asset classes. So particularly in a place like Austin, which is really growing, we're seeing like, we just, we just want to deal with our private equity partner. Um, there was 35 offers on that deal. And, and, and big companies from coastal markets are now looking in stuff like in Austin, Texas. Yeah. So right now, my, my, my vision is thinking we're, st- we're not through the fire yet, but we're, we're still seeing a lot of competition and low mm-hmm. interest rates with low cap rates. Plus, it's an election year, so I don't think a lot's going to happen. Yeah. I think come Q1 next year, it'd be very interesting to see if anyone knows about NMHC, which is the National Multifamily Housing Convention. That's where a lot of deals hit the market in January. I'll be very interested to see how many deals hit the market then and, and maybe have held on for the last six months through the pandemic just to yeah. survive to get to NMHC. So I don't have a crystal ball yet. I don't know if that really answers your question, but it, but you've got to keep your finger on the pulse regardless of what industry yeah. you're in and what market you're in and understanding where the growth is. Yeah, there's there's opportunities in every market. It's just 100%. knowing yep. where you are in that cycle is really Correct. the key. People ask me all the time, like, how's real estate? Like, It's great because I, <laughs> I pay attention. You yeah, know? exactly, so. exactly. Well, listen, Reed, this has been a blast. I could talk to you all day. I can tell you're just a fun guy to talk to, very easy to talk to, super knowledgeable, uh, and just like what you're doing. It's clear that you like what you're doing. So I had a blast talking to you. Let's tell folks where they can find you. Anything sure. else? I, I know you got a podcast. Uh, it's Investing in the U.S. Is that that's the yep, podcast? That's Investing yep. in the U.S. Go to that podcast. Give it a, a rating. Give it a review. Subscribe. That's that's gold to us podcasters. But And you, you wrote a book. Tell us a little bit about that real quick before we go. And any other thing yeah. else that you want to know? Sure. So, so the first, I've got two books actually. So the first book is called, it's just literally all the best episodes from the podcast in book form. So it's called Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. Very much a 
uh, a written form of the the journey again with my story okay. uh, into in, interwoven with through the pages. Uh, so you can find that on Amazon. We just launched the uh, the audio book of that. If you're into audio books, that's the first book. The second book is called Ten Thousand Miles to the American Dream, which I did with uh, five, sorry, seven, six other Aussie investors who've all made their way out across the ditch and have achieve financial freedom through some form of US real estate. Uh, and that's that launched last year. And the audio book is about to launch here in the next couple of months. That's also on Amazon. And um, yeah, listen to the podcast. And, and it, it, look, the easiest way to, to, to get in contact with me is just go to readgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. And if anyone getting on a plane, they're coming through New, uh, New York, LA, and they want to say g'day, just shoot me uh, an email at info, I-N-F-O at readgoosens.com. We can go for a beer and, and talk shop. I love it, man. I love it. Real quick, you're doing the audiobook. Did you read it? <laughs> Mate, 80, 80 20 rule. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Either way, I was going to say good. It's like, hey, man, good for you if you did it. And if you didn't do it, good for you. You learned how to source. I selectively did. I did the intro, I did the first chapter, and I did all the challenges that I do at every at the end of every chapter. I did, I did uh, and, uh, those things. You can still hear my voice. It was just like, uh, I've got other things to go do. That's yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I, I wrote a book myself. I haven't done the audiobook yet, and I'm really debating whether or not I want to do it or have it done. So, anyway. my my only <laughs> advice on that is, like, do the intro, the forward, and maybe you know the, the transitions of every chapter, so people can hear you. I think that's important. Yeah. But the the majority of it, get high professional. Do it. You know, it's it's this is. Here's, sure your time is more valuable. Here's the here's the question that's fu- it just occurred to me. So when Americans hire voiceover talents or voice talents, typically it's like Australian, it's English. Please tell me you hired an American to do this book. That would be hilarious. Because your voice, see, that's funny. We all want to sound like you, or not all of us, but you know, that's the that's who we hire typically. It's funny you hire an American. How funny is that? It was more to do with the fact is there's no way they're going to get me confused. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Good point. Good point. That's great, man. Well, listen. Thanks again for doing this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your energy, positive vibes, and all the knowledge that you shared. Thank it's you. Super fun to talk to guys like you. So thanks for doing it, mate. My pleasure, and uh, doing a great job. So all right, awesome. Man. Thank you. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that episode and that conversation. I had a good time talking to Reed. He's a fun guy, smart guy, and he's uh, just got a great attitude and kind of a fun, I don't know if that came through. I think it did, a fun, kind of a fun idea and attitude about his business and and uh, just a good sense of humor about it all. And I like that. He's He's genuinely having a good time in his business in real estate. And that's a lot of fun. He also mentioned, and I I don't want this to go unnoticed, how important it was for him to have a mentor, to have someone in his corner helping him, bouncing ideas, teaching him, and cutting through that learning curve. Really, Reed is a really smart guy. I love the way he kind of built his business responsibly. He learned from a mentor. He started small. Now he's scaling up and doing these big syndication deals. It's just the way it is. You start small. Like he said, you don't do your 10th deal until you do your first deal. So with that in mind, guys, go out there and do your first deal. Make today the day that you get started. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, 
Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over 100 a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12-month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words just start as two words now just start to the number 55444 so text just start to 55444 I will send you a free digital download of my book it's the complete book there's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me and I really really appreciate it guys so I want to do something nice for you I do this every once in a while at the end of shows and if you listen to the very end every once in a while I do a giveaway like this so hopefully you enjoy that go grab a free copy I hope you read it I hope you love it reach out let me know what you think all right guys talk to you next time